At first glance, Whitewater, Wisconsin seems to be your typical small Midwestern college town. But if you dig a bit deeper, you'll realize it's anything but. It's been dubbed the Second Salem, and the town of Whitewater is shrouded in a dark, eerie history. It's teeming with stories of witches, ghostly apparitions, curses, and unexplainable supernatural events. The notoriously haunted town has long attracted lore and legends, some mysterious, others downright spine-chilling. Whitewater is a town with many dark secrets. I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. Welcome back to the show. You're in for a real treat with today's episode. First up, we're talking about a hauntingly spooky little town in Wisconsin, because let's be real, a story about a haunted house? Amazing. But a story about an entire haunted town? Come on now. Fascinating. There's something about those certain parts of the world that we live in that just seem to attract ghostly activity like a magnet. They become legendary. And after that, we have a chilling story of one Hawaiian police officer's encounter with the paranormal. As she was out on patrol alone one evening, something happened that she will never forget. You all asked for more ghost stories, so I'm giving them to you. I got two great stories coming your way today. Before you get your daily dose of spooks, I would love it if you subscribe to this channel, leave a like and a comment, and turn on the notification bell. And share Avery After Dark with your friends, family, anyone you know that could use a little mystery in their life. It's something new and mysterious every week on Avery After Dark. Don't miss out. And now, today's first story. As you drive through the town of Whitewater, Wisconsin, it really feels like the all-American Midwestern town. But your first clue that there may be something more going on could be when you pass by a brewing company called Second Salem. When you hear Salem, many think Salem, Massachusetts, witch trials. But what does this little town have to do with witches? What's going on in Whitewater? How did this little college town gain such an eerie reputation? Whitewater is a city located in Walworth and Jefferson counties in Wisconsin, located near the southern portion of the Kettle Moraine State Forest. Whitewater is the home of the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. The town was founded at the confluence of Whitewater Creek and Spring Brook, and it was named for the white sand on their beds. Whitewater was originally founded entirely by settlers who arrived there from New England. These people were known as Yankees, meaning they descended from the English Puritans who settled in New England in the 1600s. They were a part of this big wave of New England farmers who headed west into what was then the wilds of the Northwest Territory during the early 1800s. When they arrived in what is now Whitewater, it was nothing but dense, untouched forest and wild prairie. The New Englanders began to set up shop. They laid out farms, constructed roads, built government buildings, and established post routes. And Whitewater quickly grew when the first railroad line in Wisconsin passed through in 1853, but started to struggle when the two largest employers left town. Whitewater as it stands today is a small city of about 15,000. It's a quiet Midwestern college town. The people are friendly. It's not a place many would think would be the setting of some of the most chilling paranormal occurrences, but it is. Whitewater has been nicknamed the Second Salem because of its dark history. But how dark we talking here? The town's history is rife with stories of witches, spiritualism, strange paranormal sightings, and other unexplainable events. Some places seem to attract this type of energy, but many believe this story started with one man. 
and his name was Morris Pratt. Morris Pratt was born in 1820. He came from a wealthy family that used their riches to build houses and buy up large tracts of land in and around Whitewater. But most notably, Morris Pratt was a devout spiritualist. Modern spiritualism took root in America back in the 1840s, beginning in a small town in New York. It quickly grew to become one of the largest, yet also divisive movements in the 19th century. The idea that the living could somehow communicate with the dead spread throughout America like wildfire. Spiritualists believe that the afterlife, the spirit world, is not a static place, but rather one in which spirits continue to evolve and through spiritualism, these spirits can provide helpful insight regarding moral and ethical issues. On a trip to New York to visit family, Morris learned about the spiritualist movement. He was introduced to seances, spirit knocking, automatic writings, healing, and even channeling in the 1850s. He vowed to continue these practices, bringing them back to Whitewater. Pratt began using his wealth to train and teach spiritualists in Whitewater at his home, while connecting with other mediums in Wisconsin. He began hosting regular gatherings with some of the most well-known mediums in the Midwest. But then, he had a much bigger idea. In 1888, Morris Pratt built the most expensive house in Whitewater. It was huge compared to others in town. He had designed and started to construct his very own Temple of Science on the corner of Center and 3rd Streets in Whitewater. This would become known as the Morris Pratt Institute, which would be a place dedicated to contacting and communicating with the dead. Now, initially, Pratt did not inform Whitewater of what his plans were for this building. For a while, it was just a big mystery. Folks wondered, what is he doing with this massive mansion? But then, in 1889, advertisements for M. Pratt's Sanitarium and Hall of Psychic Science started appearing in local newspapers. And the townsfolk were like, what? And everyone started talking about it. Morris Pratt designed it as a school and headquarters for spiritualism, which included two auditorium halls that could seat nearly 400 people. There was also a seance room on the third floor. It was painted in all white, and only the most devout spiritualists were allowed to enter. At the Institute, every aspect and practice of spiritualism were taught in classes, and traveling spiritualists from all over would come to this institute. They held regular lectures on psychic subjects and paranormal activities. Students were encouraged and instructed on practices that would allow them to contact spirits to further their understanding of God and the afterlife. For Morris, this was his legacy. But to locals, it was simply referred to as the Spook Academy or Spook's Temple. A Whitewater archivist of 27 years named Karen Weston said the Morris Pratt School was probably the spookiest place in Whitewater. This kind of thing wasn't really welcomed back then by many in the town, and it quickly got a bad reputation. Folks in Whitewater were just really wary about what they were doing inside those walls. Understandably so. And there was a lot of talk that there was witchcraft going on inside the Institute. Numerous religious leaders preached out against spiritualism and would debate Pratt. Firstly, because they didn't believe in this new movement. But also, because a lot of these so-called spiritualists turned out to be complete fraudsters. The Fox Sisters of Rochester, New York, played a vital role in the movement of American spiritualism. These sisters consisted of Leah... Margareta, and Catherine. 
The two younger sisters began using rapping to convince their older sister and others that they were actually communicating with spirits. Word spread and they began working as mediums, doing public seances and becoming the leaders in this new movement. The oldest Fox sister became the sister's manager and they were really successful. They made a lot of money and became widely known for their psychic abilities. But in 1888, the same year that Morris Pratt built this institute, Margareta Fox confessed that these rappings had been a hoax and even publicly demonstrated how they fooled everyone, saying they actually used cracking noises in their knuckles and joints to make the sounds. Apparently, they would crack and snap their toes, knees, and ankles. And look, I guess they were great actors because I would like to think I'm a smart enough person to notice that this medium is really some lady just cracking her dirty little toes under the table. Pretending it's a ghost? I mean, <laughs> they had everyone fooled, but they were really just a bunch of toe snappers. Ooh, disappointing, to say the least. But people ate it up. Millions and millions of people supported and joined this movement. They really wanted to believe that this was possible, to communicate with the departed, mainly because of the times. With the onslaught of the Civil War, men were leaving for battle and were never coming home. Families were broken apart. So more and more people turned to mediums, hoping to hear from their loved ones again. Before all of this, there was this idea of a good death, meaning all aspects of the dying process were done at home. A loved one was surrounded by their family when they passed. It was a way to honor their life, their family. You got a chance to say goodbye. But the Civil War, all wars really, robbed hundreds of thousands of the opportunity to be by their loved one's side in those final days. There were no proper goodbyes, so many grieving mothers, fathers, sisters, wives turned to this movement out of sheer grief. Also, the average lifespan in the 1800s was much younger than it is today. So people clung to this movement with a tight grip, and despite the criticisms, the movement continued to grow in popularity for decades. But it still had its critics, especially in Whitewater, where residents just believed that Pratt's Institute was a place of witchcraft. But the Institute and Pratt himself became a mecca for spiritualist groups in the Midwest. I mean, every day in this building, it was seance after seance. You gotta kind of wonder about that. Pratt died in 1902, and the school functioned for about another 40 years until it was actually turned into an office. In 1946, the Institute was moved to Milwaukee, where it still exists today. And the original building in Whitewater actually no longer stands. But many wonder, what kind of spirits did those in the Institute connect with? What portals were opened? Many believe through these seances, doorways to the other world were opened and have never been shut, leading to decades of unexplainable paranormal events. Because as soon as Pratt opened this Institute, this is really when things started to shift in Whitewater. The positioning of the town itself only amplifies the spookiness, as it sits on what's known as the Witch's Triangle. If you look at a map, you can see the town sits on a triangle between three cemeteries. Calvary Cemetery, which sits on the northern edge of campus, Oak Grove Cemetery, located up on a hill on the east side of town, and Hillside Cemetery, adjacent to Cravath Lake. Three cemeteries? Yeah, that's creepy. They form the shape of a perfect isosceles triangle. And this type of triangle is very commonly associated with paranormal activity. 
and researchers have found that most of the hauntings take place within the triangle. Calvary Cemetery itself sits in the middle of the college campus, which is unique. We'll say that. And the cemetery is locked on every Halloween. Along with the graveyards, it's said that there are also Native American burial mounds within the city limits as well. And Oak Grove Cemetery is said to be the final resting place of the axe-toting murderess, Mary Worth. Mary, who lived in the late 19th century, was said to have practiced witchcraft and placed curses on people in the community, and even Whitewater itself. And on Halloween Eve, it's said that Mary's ghost can be seen walking among the tombstones. And when people try to follow her, she always disappears in the exact same spot in the cemetery. In 1970, something truly horrific happened inside Hillside Cemetery. Someone, in the act of a prank, dug up a casket that was buried in the cemetery and left it on the steps of the university's student center. That's despicable. And Whitewater sits along Cravath Lake. Paranormal researchers believe that spirits, entities, will harness the energy of large bodies of water in order to manifest and communicate with the living. This really seems to be a reoccurring theme on this show, covering super haunted spots, and then what do you know? It backs up to a lake, a river, or an ocean. Well, 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 who would have thunk it? And speaking of water, if you weren't already creeped out by the Spooky Institute, that was basically a school for talking to the dead, or the Triangle of Cemeteries, creepy. There's another notable spot in Whitewater called the Stone Water Tower, also known as the Witch's Tower. And it's one of the most haunted spots in Whitewater. The tower, built in the late 1800s, sits in Starin Park, and it's got quite the history. This was a spot where witches reportedly performed rituals. Decades ago, this was a meeting place. They would gather late at night and dance in circles around the tower. Legend about the tower grew even more so when a fence was built around it. But people noticed something strange about this fence. The barbed iron spikes pointed inward, almost as if they were trying to keep something in, rather than keeping others out. It's believed this was to keep the spirits of the witches in the tower itself. And on certain evenings, when the sun has set, many have said they've seen apparitions dancing around the tower. The Witch's Tower seems to be a magnet for strange happenings. One morning in June 2008, Rick Lean, a Whitewater water superintendent, was checking out the tower when he was attacked inside. He said when he got into the tower that morning, he walked inside to see a figure crouching behind one of the control panels. Now, no one was ever usually in the tower as it was kept locked, so Rick backed up into the tower doorway and pulled out his phone to call police. As soon as he did, the figure suddenly charged towards Rick, slammed into him, knocking the wind out of him. A struggle ensued, and a few minutes later, police showed up. The intruder was arrested, and when police asked what he was doing inside, he said he had come to rid the tower and the town of its witches. As the police were interviewing him, the man suddenly completely forgot about what had happened and the entire plan. He had no memory of what had just happened. Really strange stuff. The tower sits south of Wells Hall, which is another location that is said to be haunted, with strange occurrences dating back to the late 1960s. And Wells Hall is not the only building on campus that has questionable stories. 
1981, the girls of the Alpha Sigma sorority heard loud noises coming from the basement while they were eating dinner one evening. So they decided to go investigate. When they went down to the basement of the building, bricks of the floor were found scattered everywhere, revealing a never-before-seen tunnel entrance. Story goes that the tunnel system was used by witches as a way of traveling between the town's oldest mansion-sized homes without being spotted by civilians. Along with the Institute, the Whitewaters Anderson Library is infamous. Not the library itself, but rather something that's kept locked inside. For years, rumors have run rampant about a book that is supposedly locked in the basement of the Whitewater Library. One specific book that has a lock on its cover and is kept in a secret part of the basement. Now, this is no ordinary book. It's said to have been left behind by witches who performed rituals in Whitewater. Legend has it that the book is so wicked that it drove three students and one professor who read it to go insane. Now, if you're at the library and you ask to see the book, you'll get expelled, or so they say. So we got witches, ghosts, secret tunnels, a creepy tower, and now a cursed book? What? That's a lot for one little town. When asked, Karen Weston, an archivist, said the only locked book they own is actually a Catholic hymnal. Now, she believes the stories and rumors about this book came from the fact that up until 1989, 100 years after the Morris Pratt Institute was founded, the storage they used for the book was a locked cage because it was the only storage unit they had. Or so they said. So this locked up book got the image of being dangerous. However, none of the people who have ever talked about this Catholic hymnal have ever given a publisher, title, a date, nothing. So the mystery around this book and the dark contents inside remain a bit of a mystery. It seems if you're a student on this campus, you just have to acknowledge that this place is spooky, eerie, chilling. And the students there have seen some stuff. One student said he was in the dorm showers one day when he looked down to see that underneath the curtain, someone was standing outside a shower in rain boots, right there. The strange thing was, he said they appeared to be kid-sized rain boots. The student was spooked, so he yanked back the curtain, expecting to see someone standing there. But when he did, the figure in those little boots had disappeared. Students also frequently report doors opening and slamming shut on their own, hearing strange noises and seeing shadowy figures inside the dorms. Most students recognize the history of Whitewater and just simply say, yeah, this place is haunted. A woman who said she attended the university in the late 1960s said that one of the most popular activities for students in the dorms was to perform seances. One of the most talked about occurrences happened as recently as 1992 near Whitewater Lake. It's said that three students were walking around the lake late one night when they witnessed some type of late night ritual, which commenced with a huge figure rising up from the lake. The students ran when they saw it, and it only became yet another creepy story that began to circulate in the town. What it was emerging from the lake, or who was conducting the ritual, remains a mystery. And as time passes, new stories of paranormal occurrences all over Whitewater continue to emerge. And they seem to get stranger and stranger as time goes on. I gotta know, what are your thoughts on Whitewater? Would you be down for a visit? And if so, do you think you'd be up for a late night walk around the Witch's Tower? I would love to know your thoughts. Let me know in the comments. And also, let me know what places you'd like to see next on Avery After Dark. 
Is there a haunted spooky town near you? I want to hear about it. Our second story is a true encounter from one of the most beautiful places in the world, Hawaii. I want you to imagine you're driving down a dark winding road late one evening when you look up and suddenly notice a woman dressed in all white walking alone alongside the road. You pull over, see if she's okay, ask her what she's doing out here at this hour, maybe even offer her a ride, only for this mysterious woman in all white to disappear into the darkness, right in front of your eyes. This is one of the most commonly reported paranormal experiences across the world. Tales of a lone woman roaming along the side of the road have circulated for years. Many adamant that they've encountered this apparition. Others believing that the lady alongside the road is merely just a popular spooky campfire story. Nothing more. But for one Honolulu police officer, this ghost story became real life when one evening she experienced something truly unbelievable on the night shift. The story comes to us from another Honolulu police officer, Corporal Teesa Etuati. She tells of a story her beat partner told her of a ghostly encounter she experienced late one evening. An experience that still gives this officer chills to this day. It was a typical warm, beautiful evening in Honolulu, Hawaii, when a rookie police officer was on the night shift. One of their duties in this particular district is to do nightly checks of the Pali Lookout and Pali Highway. Pali Lookout is a stunning, historic, scenic five-mile drive that offers panoramic views of the coast. Driving through the Pali Highway, through the tall trees and dense forest, you can watch the city disappear as you're fully emerged in the natural landscape of gorgeous Hawaii. It's between Honolulu and Kailua, a very popular spot. The Pali Lookout is also known for these really strong howling winds. You can hear these winds whistle through the mountains while you're up there. And at nighttime, in the after hours, officers on duty are given the job of going up and locking the gates. And many of them don't really enjoy doing this. As it's really dark up there at night, there's usually no one around, so it can be a bit eerie. The howling winds, pitch black, ooh. On this particular evening, a younger officer, who was still a rookie and wants to remain anonymous, was on patrol by herself and was assigned to close the poly gates that evening. So per protocol, she pulled up to the first gate, locked that one. She got back into her car and began driving towards the lookout to lock the other gate. It was nearly pitch black outside, but suddenly she looked up to see a figure walking along the side of the road. As the officer pulled up closer, she saw that this figure was a woman wearing a long white dress. She was concerned for her and wanted to see if this woman was okay or if she needed help. So as the officer pulled to a stop and rolled down her window, she looked out to see that the woman in white had disappeared. That's when she got a really chilling feeling. She slowly turned and looked in the rearview mirror and sees that this woman was sitting in the back seat of her squad car. She saw her closer now. This woman was in a long white dress, had long grayish hair, and was not a living person. This was a ghost. At this moment, this officer recalled that her grandmother told her if she ever had encountered a spirit, a ghost, you should stay calm, not panic. You need to talk to the spirit. So this officer began driving and trying to remain calm. She began asking this woman in the backseat questions like, what are you doing out here? It's dark. Why are you out here all alone? And where did you come from? And the entire time, this woman in white sitting in the backseat didn't say a word, 
She just sat there, looking down the entire ride. The officer making frequent checks in the rearview mirror. And the lady in white just sat there. The officer had arrived to the second gate, so she quickly got out, locked that up, and made her way back to the car. Knowing this ghost was still in the back seat the entire time. So she got back into the car and continued to talk to the spirit very peacefully, telling her that she's just doing her job, she has to drive around at night and lock up the gates. This is just a part of her duties. The officer also told her that she couldn't take her very far, to Kailua, because that was out of her district, but she wanted to make sure she was okay. The entire time, the woman never said anything, just looked down the whole time. Finally, as the officer made her way through a tunnel, she felt an immediate sense of peace. When she looked, she saw the lady in the back seat had disappeared. She was gone. The officer continued her shift for the evening, in shock of what she had seen and experienced that night. Who the spirit was or what she wanted, she doesn't know. But this officer was glad of the way she handled things in such a calm, collected manner. The story spread through the department, and to her amazement, numerous other officers also stated that they too had seen a figure roaming along the Polly lookout too. They had spotted her late at night, just as this officer had. This apparition clearly made herself known to certain people, and this seemed to be a shared experience between numerous officers in the department with very similar stories. Police officers already have a reputation for staying collected in rational and terrifying situations that would send any normal civilian running for the hills. Some of the stuff that they see is just unthinkable. But for this rookie officer to be out there alone and stay so calm and collected during this type of experience is pretty amazing. She had the insight from her grandmother on how to deal with the supernatural realm. Pretty incredible. And I'm going to take that grandma's advice too, next time I have an experience. I got to know, what are your thoughts on this officer's experience? Who do you believe the woman in white truly is? And why are so many people seeing this apparition along the roads late at night? And what about you? Have you ever been out on a night drive and seen something truly unexplainable? Leave your theories and experiences in the comments. I cannot wait to hear. And next time you're out for a little night drive, be sure to look around. You never know who you might see. Maybe the lady in white will be alongside the road waiting for you. Spooky! If you have a chilling place or case near where you live that you want to see covered on Avery After Dark, let me know. You all always give the best story suggestions, so thank you. I would love it if you subscribe to this channel and leave a like and a comment. Next week, I got so much more spookiness coming your way. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.